0: Hi, and welcome to another great life-impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Thanks, John. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3, if you're not there already. And we're going to be camped. Here this morning, and uh, do me a favour: stand up and have a stretch if you need to stretch. Say hello to somebody behind you or in front of you, because uh, you're going to be sitting for a little while. Uh, it's only ten past eleven, <laughs> so have a stretch. Say hello if you want to, and give you a couple of minutes, and then we'll get into it. <clears throat> you know, have plenty of time to catch up and chat following the service so we can t- continue the fellowship as one of the pillars of the church. Amen. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we come to you this morning. We are just thankful, Lord, that we can come, that you've called us, that you've drawn us here, that, that we are here not by chance, that we are we are here not by luck, but we are here by the sovereign will and purpose of. The God who is in sovereign control and uh, we are drawn here too because we love you and we love your church because you love your church and we would ask Lord that you would undertake for us this morning to do a work on our hearts on our minds and on our lives that Lord we might look more like Jesus that Lord we might display the glory of God in our own lives and so that you would be glorified and that others would see that Christ indeed lives in me. And so we would ask, Lord, for your hand on our time this morning, And Lord, you would speak to us through me, and that uh, today, Lord, we would just not hear words, but, Lord, that we would hear words that come from you, that come from you and that mean that they will have an effect on our lives. Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. It's said that when the British and French were fighting in Canada in the 1750s, Admiral Phipps, commander of the British fleet, was told to anchor outside Quebec. He was given orders to wait for the British uh, British land forces to arrive, then support them when they attacked the city. Phipps' navy arrived early as the admiral waited. He became annoyed and anxious by the statues of the saints that adorned the towers of a nearby uh, cathedral. So he commanded his men to shoot at them, to do this with the ship's cannons. No one knows how many rounds were fired, or how many statues were knocked out, but when the land forces arrived and the signal was given to attack, the Admiral was of no help. He had used up all his ammunition, shooting at the saints. This morning, as we come to our text, we find what that ammunition looked like. By way of introduction in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 to 13, and you're familiar with this text. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, instructed the Christians there, actually he commanded them, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the reason he gave for why they were able to do this was, verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so they were able to work out their salvation. We're not talking figure it out. We're talking working it out, putting it on display. And they were able to do this. Why? Because God was at work in them. Therefore, they were to live as though they were the saved and sanctified people of God. God had saved them, had He not? And God had sanctified them. Their lives were to be different to how they once were, as unsaved and unsanctified people. For starters, they were to count all things compared to Christ as rubbish. Their lives were to be Christ-centered. Their lives were to be consumed by Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 3, verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be loss, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And this new life would have an effect on their minds. That is why Philippians chapter two, verse five says that they have the this mind in you, which was also in Christ. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ. And so their thinking was to change because now they had the mind of Christ. Now, in most cases, the apostle Paul wrote to address many issues the churches were facing. If you read through all his writing, all his letters, you will see that he addressed issue after issue. And sometimes he addressed the same issue to the to different churches. But nonetheless, he addressed many issues uh, to the churches uh, that they were facing. And so one of the issues that the church at Philippi faced was disunity. And this was noted by the admonition given to two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who we might assume weren't working out their salvation very well. Uh, That they weren't working their salvation out the the way that God had intended them to do so. And so the Apostle Paul urged these two ladies in chapter 4 and verse 2 that they should agree in the Lord. You know, it's unknown what in particular their issue was that they had with each other. I think maybe the Apostle Paul leaves any detail out so that we can take the liberty to apply it to our own circumstances. Therefore, we might ask ourselves, well, what can cause disunity in the church? And we might want to get out our list And uh, we could say things such as change. Change can cause disunity in the church. Some people don't like change and they struggle to cope and they refuse to support any changes. Admittedly, some changes aren't necessary, but it doesn't matter for some people. They would rather that there wasn't any change. And those changes can be as simple as having coffee and tea. (laughs) It can be as simple as the the music has changed. It's not like how it used to be. Or it can be the changing of furniture. It could be the changing of pastors. It can be a number of changes that really upset people. And make them a bit unhappy. Doctrinal differences that can cause disunity in the church. If someone comes along with a different doctrinal position, which might not be wrong or heretical, uh, in fact, the Bible may actually teach it, but it might be unfamiliar to some. And that unfamiliarity can cause some people to become very uncomfortable and unhappy. And unsure. Then there can be personality clash. You know, we're we're a church here like every other church, and we all have different personalities. Some people have an outgoing personality, some people have a more of a reserved type of personality. Some people don't care what comes out of their mouth. And others are very cautious about what they say. And because of that, we can easily rub one another up the wrong way. In fact, I, I believe that's part of the sanctification process. I believe it's like what uh, uh, Paul Tripp said was the, the the block of timber and the sandpaper thing. And you know, one of us is the block of timber and the other one's the sandpaper. You know what sandpaper does to timber? Rubs it up and down and it makes it smooth. And so we're kind of like the the sanctification process that God uses to sanctify us, to change us, to shape us for his glory. (laughs) Favoritism. That can cause disunity in the church. You know, we favor different people over others and we just, we cause dissension. Because of that, i got their selfish pride. Uh, I think that's a big one and uh, I think really it comes down to pride, doesn't it? Uh, it, Pride is about who? (laughs) It's about you, me. And uh, we can be the biggest problem in the church when it comes to disunity. Us. And there are probably more that we could add to the list, but the bottom line is this. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, addressing Euodia and Syntyche, he was aware that there was disunity amongst the Christians there, and so he admonished or reprimanded them to both agree in the Lord, to both agree in the Lord. It's okay to have disagreements in the Lord, but it's wrong to not come together and to work those things out. That's what Paul's saying there to the the church at Philippi. It's okay to disagree, but it's wrong to not come together and work it out. Let's sit down and let's have this discussion. Let's work things out rather than just not try and deal with it at all, which then causes the problem to become bigger. You know what I mean, don't you? And so the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not the way we do it biblically. He says, agree in the Lord. Come together and agree in the Lord. In fact, I like the way the uh, King James puts it and the King James says to be of the same mind in the Lord. To build the same mind in the Lord. That's two Christians coming together and their minds are on Christ. That's what it means. You see, you can't have, 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 have unity when you don't have the same mind, when you don't think the same. And in the church, when you don't, have Christ in your mind, you're not united. There is no unity. But because we're all Christians and we all have Christ in our minds, we are united. We come to the Lord's table every Sunday. Why? To remember each other? Why do we have the Lord's table? to remember Christ. We come to this table to remember Christ, to get Christ back in our minds. Why? Because we are prone from Sunday, 12 o'clock, or maybe half past here, till next Sunday, 10 o'clock, to think about me, or for you to think about you, rather than Christ. But we have this table here so that our minds will be taken up with Christ. You notice it's called communion. You know what that means? It means we have something in common. There is commonality here. There is a community of people who are unified in Christ. And this, this table here and the, the, the bread and the cup are there to remind us about that. Therefore, as we come to our text this morning, we see that it mirrors the letter of the Philippians and that the Apostle Paul points to the mind being fixed on Christ. And so our text begins, Colossians chapter 3, by saying, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, in other words, if you are a Christian, because... Non-Christians don't get raised up with Christ. They stay down. If you are a Christian, keep seeking the things above. and So you look up and you go, okay, I see the sky. Am I just, just going to be thinking about blue skies or maybe today it's grey? No, he goes on to say where Christ is. You look up to see where Christ is. You want your your mind and your thoughts to be on Christ. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. How cool is that? How little old lives are in Christ. And, and, and Christ is in God. That's the picture. That's total protection. That's eternal security. Nothing, Jesus said, can snatch you out of my hand. Why? Because no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. I'm in the Father's hand, and you are in my hand. And it's the same as what it's saying here. Therefore, if you're in Christ, hidden in him, you're consumed by him. You can only think of him. Amen? Well, that is until we leave here at 12.30. <laughs> or even maybe now. Maybe now our thoughts aren't quite on Christ it's not on the things that are on earth you've died and your life is hidden in Christ and God you have died you see that that kind of says it's not about you why? because you kind of died and when you were raised up you were sort of hidden away in Christ And Christ who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And that's what we're waiting patiently for, isn't it? As you would know, the, the Christian life is a battle for the mind. Our minds are so prone to think otherwise. And so the Apostle Paul gives the command in verse 2, he says, set your mind, on the things above where Christ is, and not on the things that are on earth. Now, some will interpret this to mean that our minds are not to be on material things. I know you may have looked at this passage and thought that way that, oh, that's talking about earthly things, that's talking about material things, that we're not meant to be materialistic people. But folks, that's not what that passage or that chapter is actually talking about. I don't know how you can deduce materialism from that passage when that's not what it's about. There may be other passages that deal with that, but this is not where you go to to condemn somebody who has material things. In fact, if we didn't have material things, we would all be sitting here naked. Now, that wouldn't be So we thank the Lord for material things. So this passage is not talking about material things. That's why it goes on to say, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. How do you know you're into idolatry? Because you're alive to immorality, you're alive to impurity, you're alive to passions and lusts, you're alive to evil desires and greed, because they all amount to idolatry. What is idolatry? When you worship something, you believe, brings you joy and life. You ask a man why he watches porn. And he says it does something to him. And you ask a mother why she worships her children. She says, because they do something to me. They make me feel good and happy. They make me feel like I have some kind of worth in this world. You ask the person why they worship anything. And they should come back and say, because that thing gives me joy, happiness, life, excitement. It makes me want to get up in the morning and do something. You know, I can't get enough of it. That's idolatry. The Bible says that we're not to idolize anything other than God. See, because God is is to be our, our source of joy, our source of, of hope, our source of life. He is to be the one we want to get up every morning and meet with. He's to be the one that, that we just can't wait to meet again because he gives us life. Remember Peter said, when Jesus said, well, where, you know, will you go with them? Will you follow those people as they leave? And they turn their backs on me. And Peter says, where will we go, Lord? For you have the words of eternal life. That, that should be our words. That should be our words. Where will we go, to? You have the words of eternal life. So in a nutshell, that's idolatry. What do you worship? What do you find great satisfaction out of? What is it that makes you feel happy and strong and worth something? More than anything else in this world other than God, and I tell you that will be the thing you idolize, but that idol is only telling you that you actually worship. See, we are the biggest idols in our lives. We worship the self rather than God. That's why you take something away from somebody and you see their response. If you take what they worship away from them and they respond with anger, with malice, you will know that's what they Now, it's important that we also notice that therefore, in verse 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body, that uh, this points us back to verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why do I say that? Because they both talk about death. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead immor morality verse 3 for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God something happened folks there was some kind of murder taking place not only did they murder Jesus but somehow when he died you died too. I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ was crucified, all those in Christ were crucified with him. Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, when he died, we died too. It's no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And so there's a connection here between the Christian having died and their life is now hidden with Christ and God and the consideration of the members of their earthly bodies as dead to immorality, etc. Therefore, when the Apostle writes that the Christian is to consider the members of their earthly body as dead to immorality, he wants the Christian to mortify as the King James puts it, or, or put to death, immor- immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to adultery. You know, Jesus said something, didn't He? He said, "You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery.'" Ah, oh, I haven't committed adultery. And then He goes on and says, "But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has." committed adultery. Guys, have you looked at a woman the wrong way? You've committed adultery. That's what Jesus said. You've committed adultery with her in your heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. And well, right throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? No, that means that you might not be saved. That's what that means. It also means that, you know, what if you, you are saved? And you're committing sin. You have to treat it like that. You will have to get rid of it in your life. You have to pluck your eye out if you're watching things you shouldn't be watching. Don't literally pluck your eye out. You know what it means, don't you? The figure of speech it means cut it out get rid of it the fact that there's anything you're doing that's a sin stop it when you're talking about disunity in the church if you're causing disunity in the church stop it it's a sin it's better that you get rid of part of your body whole body to go to hell. Therefore the charge to mortify is a serious charge. The charge to put to death these things is a serious charge. Why? Because these characteristics don't display the work of God in us. That's not how the Christian works out their salvation. it's not how we display Christ in us. you know if you think of a lemon uh, and if you squeeze a lemon you expect to see what kind of juice orange juice, apple juice, grape juice if you squeeze a lemon you expect to see lemon juice <laughs> yeah. squeeze a Christian what do you expect to see Christ you expect to see Christ you expect to see Christ coming out of their mouths coming out of their actions coming out of their thoughts coming out of their blood we just sang that didn't we nothing but the blood of Jesus should flow from your veins That's what we would expect. That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because God is at work where? In you. Therefore, if he's at work in you, when you get squeezed, he will come out of you. So that's why... The Apostle Paul says, put those things to death. And just when you thought you were out of the woods by thinking that 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 list of immoral characteristics doesn't apply to you, the Apostle then goes on to write, but now you also put them all aside. Put what aside? All aside. Anger, wrath malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone. Behold, all things are made new. The new self. Put on the new self who is being... Renew continually sanctification. We are never going to be perfect here on earth, and we know that, don't we? And we understand it, don't we? We are working towards it, aren't we? And the Lord is working with us, in us, toward that. But it, it will never happen here on earth. But unfortunately, some people tend to think like somehow they're more perfect than others. <laughs> I say to those people, pinch yourself. <laughs> You're dreaming. Put on that new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image. That word image refers back to chapter 1 and verse 15. For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things invisible and visible. And they were created for him and by him, and he holds all things together. That's the image, the image of the one who created him. Now, I just need to address this. That created him does not refer to Jesus. Jesus was never created. Amen? He existed from eternity past. Never created. So who's the created one? We are. We are the created ones. Okay? And so... To the image of the one who created him, that's the person committing immorality. That's the person who is who hasn't put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech from their mouths, and who continues to lie to one another. All these things, characteristics, people, they are just really evidence of a person wanting to cause disunity. The Apostle Paul warns them, put it aside and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in. All. Christ is all and in all. Now verse 11 gives us a hint that there was some um, discord or disunity in the midst of the church at Colossae right? We're not told exactly what it was that was causing the disunity or what the disunity was over, whether it was because they were changing things or whether there, there was, you know, just some personality, personality clashes or whatever it was. Uh, they don't, Paul doesn't say that it was like the church at Corinth who favoured you know, uh, one pastor over another. But what he does say is that there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, between circumcised and uncircumcised, between barbarian, scythian, slave and free man. You know, we could uh, could maybe speculate here and... We might think that there was some racial tension going on in this church. That's why he might have said these things, that there was no distinction. So we could speculate and suggest that it could have been that some didn't like the the different colored people in the church, or the different racial groups in the church. And uh, that's what it tends to kind of point to, doesn't it? No distinction. We're all the same in Christ. That's why he says, but Christ is all and he is in all. Now, I was asked to, uh, earlier on this year, you know that, that I uh, was asked to speak at the Russian uh, the Slavic Baptist Church uh, camp earlier this year and, and the, the subject they gave me was uh, unity despite diversity. So how can a church be unified at the same time as being diversified? I thought, well, that's pretty strange coming from a Russian church because it must all be Russian. <laughs> you know, it's not like our church where you know we've got some Filipinos, we've got some Māoris, we've got some Aboriginal people, we've got some you know white Australians and Kiwis, and uh, you know we're a mixed bunch. Um, Admittedly, they reckon that they actually struggle with being diverse, having diversity in their church. Despite the fact that, you know, it's a fairly homogenous type of all Russian, Russian-speaking. And so they wanted to know, you know, how they can be diversified, uh, unified, despite their diversity. <coughs> I said, well, you know, that's a question everyone's asking. <laughs> they want the answer to, every church wants the answer to that. Because we all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. I mean, you've got a church, you know, a Slavic Baptist church, they're all the same. You think they would all like the same things and that it would all just get along. But no, there's disunity amongst them. And uh, after talking with a few of their leaders, I realized that the problem they had was that they had young people coming through. The older people struggled with the young people. And the young people struggled with the, the traditional way. And the older people struggled with the changes that the young people were making. And uh, they couldn't come to compromise. In fact, I said to the leaders, well, you would think that the older people are the mature, more mature people in Christ. Are they? they said to me, you would expect them to be. But unfortunately, they weren't acting very mature. I said, how do you do this? At the end of the, the weekend, I said, you know what? I don't give you, I can't give you 10 steps on how to work this out. You know, I don't have the magic solution to solve the problem in ten steps I do have one I have one should solve it I said what is it set your mind on Christ there it is Christ we all just set our minds on Christ you know what We'd all think the same. We'd all realise that, you know what, the church is here to make much of Christ. This church is here to make much of Christ. Not much of me, because the problem with me, the problem with you, is that we would love to have people make much of us. We can't give them what Christ can give them. So I said, That's the answer, folks. Christ. Are you with me? No. Proverbs twenty three verse seven. As a man thinks in his heart. Okay, there are two things going on here thinking in the heart. This is deep thinking. This is deeper than just you know giving it a once over. As a man thinks in his heart, so The Apostle began this chapter quite intentionally by saying, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. You know, we have the mind of Christ, therefore having the mind of Christ Means we look at life from our Savior's point of view. Having His values and desires in mind. It means that to think God's thoughts and not to think as the world thinks or to think as the flesh thinks. You see, disunity comes when we aren't one in Christ. One in Christ. It comes when our minds aren't on Christ. Or when we are idolizing ourselves or, or something or, or someone else that we unintentionally idolize. You know, this is the problem that the Lord is aware of, that that's why we have communion, and so that we would think Christ and be united in Christ. That's why we have Bibles, so that we would read about Christ that's why we have each other to encourage each other to look to Christ. Because it's in Christ, people, where we find the hopeful unity. It's in Christ where we have our minds redirected away from ourselves. It's, it's in Christ. I just want to encourage us really this morning or admonish us, you know, that if we are to be a church that is united, where we are displaying the, the perfect bond of unity and love, where we are displaying kindness and compassion. Doesn't mean that we can't disagree. doesn't mean that we can't make changes. It doesn't mean that we can't each have different personalities. What it means is that when we find that we are, are struggling that way, think about Christ. Put your mind on Christ and then ask yourselves, what should I do, Lord, that would bring you glory, that would honour you, that would make much of you? Notice how, uh, uh, we are we, verse 17 ends. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. All that you do, all that you say, all that you think, do it as unto the Lord. That's a a challenge for every church. As long as the church is in the world, the church will continue to struggle with this. Do you understand that? There is not a perfect church in this world. And don't ever think that there is, and you just haven't found it yet. You will never find it. But there are good churches, and there are not so good churches. There are churches that are good who are working on how we can solve this unity in our church. What should we do? There are leaders who who are committed to that. And their resolve is this. Christ is the answer. Christ is the way. Amen. So I just want to leave that with you. If you're struggling in that area, if you're struggling with anything, any of those those challenges, whether it be changes, whether it be doctrinal differences, whether it be Whatever issue you have that you know is has the potential to cause disunity, don't let it fester. Don't let it breed. That doesn't honor God. In fact, if you're doing that, you need to repent. Either that will pluck out your tongue or your eye and get rid of it. Because you'd rather do that. Most of all, look to Christ, for us, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then let's pray. I invite the band to come up. And, uh, Father God, we just want to thank you for your word this morning, and uh, we want to thank you for the challenge that the apostle brings to to us from uh, the book of Colossians, and, and the challenge to, to set our minds on Christ. And often we see that throughout the Scripture, Lord. Well, not often, we see that always, that our minds are to be taken up with Jesus. That Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the answer to our, uh, to a church's disunity. In fact, the only way a church can be unified is through Jesus, because this is his church. And we thank you, Lord, that this is your church. We thank you that you have Made every effort to unite your people under the banner of your church by your grace and your mercy. And you give us the, the command to work it out, to work out our salvation, to put it on display, to act like we are really saved people, that we are really sanctified people, rather than acting like the world. or the world doesn't have their mind set on you, Lord. The world doesn't think that way. Um, only the Christian can think that way. The Lord, we ask that you would just take this message and make use of it for your glory, that uh, we, are, we are a church, Lord, who are committed to being united together for the cause of the gospel, to advance the good news about Jesus, to exalt him, to express him, so that people will encounter him. And so, Lord, please help us to do that. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said,